tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Megan King. Megan has a combined eight years of experience in the pit bull rescue, animal shelter, and pet service industry. Megan has interest in animal fear, aggression, and rehabilitation like most behavior professionals. Her early experiences have also offered her the opportunity to work under highly regarded and certified dog trainers in the Dallas area. She became certified in 2018 as a feline training and behavior specialist. Most recently, before arriving in the Houston area, she was the lead cat, a Dallas behavior coordinator with the SPCA of Texas. She was responsible for behaviorally assessing the cats in the shelter and determining a behavior plan of action, providing enrichment for them and making recommendations for placement and movement of those animals. She trained animal care, medical techs, and staff members on proper fear-free cat handling techniques to better the practices for a more fear-free experience. Cats in the shelter are often misunderstood, so she was also enlisted with education through adoption councils and volunteer orientations. In addition to this, she has also acquired certifications in the following, fear-free shelters professional, certified pet CPR, and first aid professional through Arden Moore, Casey, and Kona, and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her newest position, she's faced with the same challenges in a different area, her challenge to accurately identify community cat candidates in the shelter environment, educate the staff on fear-free and better handling techniques, as well as the community. She wants to educate about the importance of the community cat program, as well as train and motivate others to have a better understanding of cats, their needs, and cat behavior. Megan, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. This is great. I'm really looking forward to this. Before we take a deep dive in all the work you've been doing over the last eight years, you know, how did you get started passionate first? Sounds firstly about dogs and then passionate about cats. Oh, well, I think like any child growing up in, you know, the country in Texas, you get passionate about all of the animals that are, you know, strays that come along and and you want to bring all of them home. And so I think I've always had that love for dogs and cats. As I got older, I started becoming more educated about the plight of many of the pit bulls that are in the Texas area. And as I got into Dallas, got really involved into pulling those pit bulls from shelters, got involved with a local rescue, the Love Pit, and began working as their foster coordinator. A lot of the times I would actually travel to the shelters and behaviorally assess the pit bulls to see if they were adoptable, pick them up, and transport them to the actual fosters. While I was there, I would always be able to see the cats in the shelter as well. And eventually in 2018, I got the opportunity to become certified is a feline trading and behavior specialist. And the rest is history from there. It's just been a trail ride of education, science, behavior, and and, uh, education again. Well, (laughs) starting off in the beginning of your bio, you're talking about how you, you know, really liked working with aggressive dogs and, you know, rehabilitating them and that kind of thing. Let's jump into the cat realm. You know, what's it like dealing with behaviorally challenged cats? 
I think it's important, especially because of most of my experience being with cats in the shelter environment, to always acknowledge that they're already going through it. They're going through a lot of stress. The shelter environment is very, very stressful for for a cat. And so starting there and understanding that any normal cat is going to have that negative reaction and then being able to assess the environment from there. Improving the environment sometimes will help that cat adjust to that environment. Managing the other employees and the way that they interact with that cat is also going to help that cat adjust. And then eventually you do have to start making those behavior assessments and placement plans, deciding whether this cat does really want to or really would qualify as an adoptable cat or would be much rather, you know, living outdoors or as a barn cat. And and what it really is about is getting that cat out of the shelter as soon as possible, but also trying to find the best placement for that cat and making sure that you're giving that cat everything it needs before you make those decisions. So you're sort of on both sides of the fence here. You're dealing with, you know, how the cats are treated within the shelter. You're working with staff, trying to share information about fear-free techniques that folks can use in the shelter while they're handling the cats, making decisions about what the appropriate placement is for that particular cat candidate, and also potentially playing some sort of a role whether that cat even does come into the shelter at all. I mean, we talked a little bit before we started the recording about SNR. You know, how active is the SNR program there in in Houston? So in Harris County, in coordination with Best Friends Rescue, Harris County launched a program in May of 21st of 2018, where they began taking cats that came into the shelter that we knew were stray cats that were already living in the element. And instead of bringing those cats into the shelter and creating that vacuum effect that we often see when we pull cats out of an area, Hip Best Friends had decided to get more involved and get those cats surgically sterilized, left ear tips, rabies and FBRCT vaccinated, and then release them back into the area. What actually happens in that instance is that the cats are actually still manning that area, but you see a lot of decrease of the aggression, the male cat fights, the urination, and a lot of the destructive behaviors that we're seeing as well. As far as the success of that program, since 2018, we have seen a 50% increase in the survival rates with the cats that are actually leaving the shelter. So we have a program here at the shelter where as soon as the cat comes in, we will identify it as a community cat candidate, or we will identify it as a foster candidate, as an adoption candidate, and kind of go from there. Ultimately, the community cat is the not last resort, but ideally sometimes it is the last resort for some cats, just to make sure that we're having that you know lower euthanasia rate and save rate and getting that cat the best option it can. So what's the process that you go through in order to make those decisions? Is there a specific you know plan that you have, or is it sort of your tribal knowledge and go from there, just sort of your basic experience. I think people, that's always a really difficult decision is to go back, to barn relocate, to try and place. How do you go through that process? It definitely is a difficult process. As you get more and more into dealing with some of these cats in the shelter environment, you can start spotting them pretty quickly. Generally, these cats are going to be fearful, sometimes fearfully aggressive almost immediately. And what many people may or may not understand is the longer that a cat actually stays in the shelter, the more stress it's going to get. And the longer that a cat stays in that stressful state, their body resources will actually start to deplete and they will actually start to become sick. So we are also on top of all of those assessments on a time limit for some of these cats because we don't want that cat to become sick. So as far as the assessment 
process, we try to go through that cat's history, whether an ACO has brought it in or someone has gotten the cat off the street and brought it in. We do try to, during the surrender process or the pet counseling process, try to keep that cat from it coming into the shelter in the first place. We do have a voucher program where we will ask the person if they would take a voucher, would they be interested in staying and neutering the cat and releasing it so that we prevent it from actually coming into the shelter. But if it actually does come into the shelter, we will go through that history, see where they were picked up. We will describe their behavior, get an assessment on their behavior. And we don't have to hold the cat for that required amount of stray hold. We can actually take the cat as soon as it comes in, set it up for surgery for the next day, and then get it back out within three days just to make sure that that cat is uh, not in the shelter for a long period of time. A lot of that is reading the body language, reading the situation, and then obviously reading the capacity that the shelter has already got at the same time. Right now, we are in July here. I know this will record later, but we are in the height of kitten season. So we not only have multiple Stray cats that are coming in out of the heat, we have multiple kittens that are coming in out of the heat. So some seasons are more busier than others, which also weighs into that eligibility. But we do not send cats out that are going to already be ill or have some kind of sickness or injury or any cats that we know have lived indoors throughout their whole life. Those are cats that aren't going to be eligible, as well as any neonatal kittens. Those types of ages will not be eligible for the CCP program. So ideally, it would be an adult cat that's healthy that we'd be sending back out. And you had mentioned that you get cats in from animal control as well as sort of from the general public. And you try and message out that let us help you get a community cat done on your own and and not. How many do you take in with animal control? Is there a contract or are they also trying to limit the number of cats that they're bringing in? Definitely. Part of the CCP program is educating the staff overall about what CCP is. It's a fairly new program for any of the shelter staff here. It's, again, just started in 2018. So a lot of our ACOs are comfortable talking about it, and some of our ACOs are not. But ideally, yes, a lot of the ACOs will be equipped with vouchers already and uh, be talking to the owners as they're making those calls or having them come out to pick up the cats that are already in traps. One of our main goals this year is to actually get more involvement with the ACOs in the community as part of our outreach program. We get all kinds of calls about cats. We get, you know, concerned citizens that, you know, are very, that care about these animals. And we also get the other end of the spectrum, uh, the citizens that, you know, don't want them on their lawn or don't need them on their lawn because, you know, maybe it's causing an issue with their animals indoors. Either way, it's about education and it's about letting the public know what this program is, that we are here to help. Many times we're actually called out to these areas because we see multiple cats coming in from a, from a pretty pinpoint area. So I will actually go out to that area or a best friend's partner of ours will go out to the area and communicate with the area, try to figure out who the feeder is so that we can start getting on the same page with the feeder and provide them help as well. So a lot of what this program, again, is, is getting that the ACO to help out with that and getting that information for us to kind of help. Who's providing the funding for the spay neuters for these community cats? Right now, it's Best Friends Society. Best Friends Society has really stepped up in the Houston area and come in when we really needed it. After Hurricane Harvey, they approached the Harris County Animal Shelter and contracted out this program. They have been running it since 2018. And just recently have I come on to actually help with the Harris County aspect of it. And hopefully in our transitional period, which should be about a year, we'll be able to take over the program fully. 
But Best Friend has had multiple successes, Albuquerque, New Mexico, San Antonio, Texas, Baltimore, Maryland, Arizona, Georgia. They're really, they're really writing the book on community cat programs as far as it is down here for us in the South, and we couldn't be more appreciative. Do you have ideas on how the funding will happen after Best Friends pulls out? Yes, Harris County is actually going to take over all of the expenses. We are going to take over the voucher program as well. We have a new pet resource center here in Harris County, so it's kind of a very exciting time to be in Harris County as a pet owner or somebody who's interested in actually helping out. Our pet resource center is more than an animal shelter. We have an animal wellness clinic where we will be doing a lot of our spay and neuter surgeries on dogs and cats. We also have a huge adoption area with a wonderful and beautiful cat land that many people who are interested in coming to help and volunteer and learn about our community cat program or our general cat program here in the shelter, we will definitely be able to accommodate and take over the the program as we can be able to continue it on. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the Community Cat Coalition of Clark County, Nevada, In the decades since the group began, C5 has trapped over 37,000 cats, providing them with spay, neuter, and vaccinations, and then returning them to colony caretakers in the greater Las Vegas area. C5 is a volunteer organization that believes they can eliminate the senseless euthanasia of feral and free-roaming cats that live in the Las Vegas Valley. They are a caring and dedicated group whose goal and purpose are the well-being of feral cats and their community. They feel an obligation to provide feral and free-roaming cats a better life, while at the same time humanely reducing overpopulation. They believe their actions will improve their community by reducing feline diseases. They have a passion and a belief in a cause that is morally right and that will make a difference. To learn more about C5, visit them at www.c5-tnr.org. Is your organization struggling because out-of-date shelter software doesn't support your organization's needs? Do you struggle to communicate with your fosters and to get videos, photos, and updates on the animals easily? Did you know that Dubert does much more than transport? If you haven't been back to Dubert in a while, you definitely need to check it out. Their rescue tube functions allow you to easily get video from fosters and staff, and their foster space module is revolutionary in the industry, allowing you to manage hundreds of fosters while easily communicating with them through text, email, and messaging. Dubert is the only place where you can manage fosters, transports, social media, and even your own online store all in one place. Whether you're trying to manage 10 animals or 10,000, Dubert provides much more than any shelter management package does for managing your organization at scale. Check it out and sign up for free at www.dubert.com, where they make animal rescue simple. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Heaven Can Wait Animal Society of Las Vegas, Nevada. Heaven Can Wait was founded in 2000 with the goal of eliminating the senseless, unnecessary killing of cats and dogs in Las Vegas area shelters by focusing on the critical need for high-volume, low-cost, targeted spay and neuter surgeries for companion animals and free-roaming cats, as well as providing educational programs and adoption opportunities. In 2019, Heaven Can Wait reached the milestone of 150,000 spay and neuter surgeries. Their vision includes a focus on spay and neuter efforts and targeting neighborhoods from which a large 
large number of animals enter the shelter system, creating opportunities for dogs to obtain a second and often times a third or fourth chance at a new lease on life, forming local coalitions with other animal welfare groups, animal control agencies, and community leaders, and educating target groups to raise awareness about responsible pet ownership. To learn more about Heaven Can Wait Animal Society, visit them at www.hcws.org. So I can't have a conversation these days without talking about COVID-19. And you're talking about a big cat land and a big, you know, a large facility. And obviously, you know, we, no one knew that coronavirus was coming in, entering into our lives. How has your organization adapted to this environment that we have going on right now? Actually, I think they have found out a lot about themselves and we have found out a lot about ourselves as well as the cat in the cat program. Before COVID-19, it was open door. You could have anyone walking in to surrender a pet. And what has happened during COVID-19 is that it's forced us to actually create appointments. So for anyone who wants to come in, we would set up a pet counseling appointment for them to come in and talk about surrendering their pet. A lot of times we can stop that person at the door, giving them other options. For example, like our CTP program, we can provide them a voucher so that those animals don't have to come into the shelter. So I think that's been one of the biggest things. As far as foster is concerned, I wouldn't be able to speak so much on the statistics, but I do know that with COVID-19 here in Texas, I have personally seen a lot of my coworkers, friends, everyone that I know, you know, with being quarantined, just decide to go and, and foster animals for, for a bit. And a lot of those animals ended up becoming adopted animals. And while we hope that once COVID-19 is over, that those animals, you know, end up staying and remaining as their forever pets and their forever homes, I think we have seen a lot more of interest in having that community come in and want to help out in, in the shelter. With the opening of the shelter, we have not gotten into the new shelter yet, which might have something to do with COVID-19, but we do plan on being in the new shelter by the end of this month. So it's going to be pretty quickly here. Well, and if it's bigger than where you are currently, then you have more square footage to stay your six feet away from each other and try and create a, a safe environment and that kind of thing. How has you and the community and the staff, what's the stress level like? I've really heard recently, and, and we are recording this in July even though this is going to be released in October. But, you know, going back into this sort of July perspective, I get the sense there's a lot of angry people out there and a lot of anxious people. Are you finding that down in Texas? You know, personally, it is, it's a bit of a mix of both. I think we, you know, we just had a mass order come into effect down here in Harris County. So we're all hot and then we're also running around in masks. I think with being stuck at home, you know, there is this part of that frustration. So we could be out in the community releasing a cat and, you know, speak to a neighbor who doesn't necessarily understand the program. And we have to, you know, end up educating or just sometimes listening. You know, a lot of times we get into the habit of wanting to explain everything to someone who just wants to to be heard. And once they feel like they've been heard, then it's time you can work with that person. So I feel like Personally, we haven't had that volatility. We're always able to de-escalate those situations because, like I said, a lot of people, you know, they don't understand why we're releasing the cats back into the community. And to a lot of people, sometimes that can be a nuisance. And once they, I feel like once they understand the reason these cats are coming back out into the community and why it's good and, and why the other way doesn't work, 
then we start to be kind of have an understanding. We also, you know, we have deterrent banks. We have deterrent ideas that we can help them with. So personally, no, I don't see a lot of hostility or volatility with that COVID-19 part along with it. But definitely, I see the potential for it, which is why we're always educating and cautioning to always be aware of your surroundings, to always be ready to make those accommodations, explanations. And and if we need to, sometimes we'll leave the area if we have to. We don't ever want to be in a confrontation or anything. What's your spay-neuter capacity like these days? With spay-neuter, we, for example, we've gotten, let's see, um, I believe the number was about 6,700 cats in last year, in 2019, and 87% of those cats were actually able to go out and back be released. In 2020 so far, we have 1,700, and that's the 92% save rate that we've had so far in 2020. So we're, we're going up and up and up as far as our spay and neuter rate is concerned and getting those cats back out. So are you able to do the same number of cats now than you were before coronavirus? So far, we have. Our vets have been really great. We've actually been increasing the numbers that we're doing daily. We do daily surgeries to try to get these guys out. So, so far, we have been able to keep up with the numbers. It did slow down a little bit during COVID, maybe for two or three weeks where we were doing surgeries every other day. But now that we've been able to go back to every day, it feels like we're kind of getting into the swing of things. So you don't have a big backlog that you're still working off of? You feel like you're more caught up? Yes, ma'am. Currently, I'll even say today, when I left on Saturday, we had 130 cats in the shelter that needed to get out. And by the time I got here today, there were 67 left, which means we were able to utilize our fosters, our rescues, and our SNRs to get most of those cats out since Saturday. And then today, I've got 67 cats to kind of go through and work with and see who I can SNR immediately and kind of start ranking a list for them to go from there. So we had a little bit of a chat before we hit the record button, too, about the concept of of transports up in the I'm in the Northeast. We've had several phone calls about the fact that the transports have pretty much stopped going to the Northeast. They're just it's, you know, in July here, they're just starting to pick back up again. I'm not necessarily as close to knowing what's going on in the Midwest or the upper western part of the country. But we talked about sort of the importance of transports and and how they help you. But if there were any other ways that some of the northern organizations could assist in some way, and and I think it's sort of the million-dollar question is, you know, many northern organizations want to help. And, you know, is it necessarily, is transport really the way to go? Are there other opportunities out there that might be more helpful? So just sort of trying to do a little bit of brainstorming and thinking about that, what are your thoughts around the whole the transport, do you use them aggressively? What's the situation like in Texas for cats, community cats, kittens, sort of across the board? I know this is a really loaded question because I'm sort of trying to get you to position the whole state and then also talk about like how is transport in that whole big picture for community cats and just cats in general? Sure. We really rely on rescues. And right now, Best Friends has been one of those rescues that has been doing a lot of transports. It feels like up you know, up into the to the northern area, transports are always going to be so invaluable. We tend to get, again, so many kittens and so many cats into the shelter daily. And with COVID, with everyone setting appointments, with us getting as many fosters out as we can, 
sometimes we're still just getting so many cats. And really, it's the adult cats that need that help. Everyone wants a kitten. Everyone wants to come in and get a kitten. We all understand that kittens are wonderful. Sometimes those adult cats will sit, and especially if they're an owner surrender that's never lived outdoors, we really struggle to find placement for them. So getting those cats on transport and, and moving those cats is so invaluable for them. As far as anything else, I would love to hear ideas. And like you said, we were kind of brainstorming. Education is so important down in this area because this is a fairly new program and a lot of people don't understand what it is. And we do spend a lot of time educating and helping people understand the importance of TNR and SNR and why taking them and bringing them into the shelter and then just doing that will create that vacuum effect and it won't solve the problems that they're looking for either. So education would be the next big thing that I think would help. And any way that we could do that would would obviously assist us down here. (laughs) And, you know, one thing's for sure is that we always mention in our, our meetings up here is really making sure that we know that not only if you're taking the kittens, that the mom is getting spayed and neutered in that process also, so that we're not like leaving a mom behind that might necessarily get pregnant again. So that's always a critical component of things. And so that's just, you know, one topic that comes up in our conversations sort of up here where kittens are adopted out for $350 a kitten. And then, you know, on Craigslist, we can see it for five or $600 a kitten. So that's sort of the way the market is up here in New England. And that's, that's one of the things that we actually see the opposite. I see so many free kittens on Craigslist, I see so many free kittens on next door. Getting those moms spayed and neutered is, yes, you, you hit the nail on the head, is the ultimate thing that we could do and educate and get the public involved in is making sure everyone understands how important spay and neuter is because it's really the only thing that's going to save these lives. Megan, if folks are interested in getting in touch with you, how would they do that? They could definitely contact me via the Harris County Pets website. There is a phone number on there that they can that they can contact or an information email that they can get on there and contact. They can also contact us through Best Friends Animal Society. There is an email, harriscountypets at bestfriends.org, and they would be able to email us there with any ideas, any volunteering ideas that they might have as well. We definitely need volunteers at this time. There's only so much that us three can do, me, me and myself and the two best friends coordinators that we have with us. So that would be the next best thing for anyone that wanted to contact us and hear more about the program. Specifically, what sort of volunteer skills are you looking for? We need everything. We need someone that can come in and simply take better profile pictures of the cats that we have in our shelter. A lot of them come in in cages and they're afraid because they don't know what's going on. And that's the only picture that they ever get. Other times we would need uh, someone who could actually go out and transport the cats and get the cats in back and released into their areas. We would also love for some adoption counseling, some people that are very cat savvy and could speak to the public about any cats that they're interested in adopting. So we need uh, volunteers of all types. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I think the ultimate thing that I would want everyone to know is that we need people to save these animals. We always have to work with people. I oftentimes work alongside other staff members that will proudly say that, you know, they love animals and don't like people so much. Well, we need people. We need people. We need to do this together. And the only way that we're going to get this done is together with people. 
Megan, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show today. And I hope we'll have you on again soon. Hopefully, maybe when you've got everything under control there in uh, Houston. Sounds like you worked in Dallas. So you're sort of making your way around the state here. So I can't wait for Texas to be all great for community cats. So thank you again. And I think it's great we're learning about Texas. It's something that's becoming prominent in my mind because I'm just very concerned about the overpopulation situation there. But you're you're resting my mind at ease and, and maybe some of our listeners too. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was a great opportunity. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.